For more information about this episode, you can check out the explicit version of my autobiography, White, Confused, Black, and Christian. And you can also go to recoveringpornaddict.com, which is my guest. Um, that's his website. Um, also, you can check him out on tedxhartford.com, December 6th. He'll be doing a TED Talk. But until all that happens, and in the meantime, and in the between time, you can check out the rest of this podcast episode. This is just the beginning. This is the intro. The rest of the episode is about to begin now. Check it out. Hey, my name is Larry Ice, and this is episode 177 of White Confused Black and Christian, the podcast. My guest is Joshua Shea. I interviewed him before. He is a pornography addiction author and educator. So um, he has a TED Talks coming up and some books. So we're going to get into all that. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to let um, Joshua here start us off and tell us what's been going on because I think you said your book has something to do with a pandemic, which is right on time. Yeah, it's ironic. I, uh, when the pandemic first started, in, and we, we really started hearing about it, uh, here in America back in March 2020, um, around, in April 2020, uh, I came up with the idea that uh, this is a time that is going to absolutely make online porn explode. There was already changes happening in the online porn world, and I talked to my uh, publisher who did my my second book, and I said, "Listen, I don't know how much interest this is going to be for people, but I think that we are going to see a massive a massive movement uh, in the online porn industry. I think that we're also going to see or hear a lot of stories from addicts who have been doing well in recovery but fall off the wagon, and I think that you know, if nothing else." this might be an interesting historical document for the time. So I spent about three months researching, interviewing people. Uh, my, my trade by nature is journalism. I did that for 25 years before I moved into being a uh, porn addiction expert author. And uh, so this was, this was actually fun for me to go back to my journalism roots and write a piece like this. What was interesting was it sold, like a lot of books, it sold well for a couple months after it came out. It came out in early June of uh, 2020. My publisher fast-tracked it so it would be out there while while the pandemic was still happening because we were all led to believe it was going to be over in the summertime. And so uh, after a month or two of decent sales, like every other book, it starts to peter out. What's been interesting now, and as you and I record this in mid-November 2020, uh, and the pandemic is coming back, hopefully people listening to this in four years are like, oh yeah, I remember when. Well, right now we're in, 20, in no, mid-November, we've just had the elections, and COVID is coming back hardcore. It's coming back in Europe hardcore, and we're about, we've always been two to three weeks behind Europe with this thing. And it's starting to come back here now. We're starting to have to close the schools again and the uh, restaurants and whatnot. And it, you know, we're heading back towards another, I think, full on shutdown uh, very soon. And uh, ultimately, uh, it's interesting because this book is starting to sell again, uh, where, you know, it, with, with these kinds of books, you sell 
you know, 10 to 20 a day when it first comes out. Then after about a month, month and a half, it becomes 10 to 20 a week. Then you're lucky if it's 10 to 20 a month. And I just had my best week of sales in this last week in the last three and a half months. And I checked right before I came on the show with you and I've already sold three today. So I think that the pandemic is back in people's minds. And much like you see during the winter time anyway, when it comes to online pornography, I absolutely believe if we have another lockdown where we are quarantined, where we are locked in, where we are isolated from one another, especially among those people who aren't married or aren't in relationships, I think you're going to see another really sad, huge spike in online pornography use the way that we saw it back earlier this year. Well, how about, well, 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 tell us the name of the book right quick. We'll, we'll still get into the name again later on, but tell us the name because the name ties into the pandemic. I think it, had, it said pandemic in it, right? It said, what was the name of yeah, the book? Yeah, the, the, uh, the book is called Porn and the Pandemic. The subtitle is How Three Months in 2020 Changed Everything because it talks about those first three months when Pornhub uh, offered uh, premium access to everybody in the world for the first time ever. When only when OnlyFans exploded and it went from getting 5,000 new signups a week to 7,000 new signups every day. And by signups, I don't mean people going to look at porn. I mean people going on to make the porn. To make them. Yes, in, in, in 2020, on, on January 1st, 2020, there was roughly 300,000 people making pornography on OnlyFans and selling it to consumers. By July 1st, I'm sorry, by January 1st, 2021, there will be somewhere between 1.3 and 1.5 million people making and selling pornography online. So just just OnlyFans, there is now a million more people in this world with three quarters of a million of them being in the US making pornography who never were before. So why so why are they I can see people, you know, when you're shut in, you wanna watch more porn and get on more dating websites, whatever. But why why is there a spike in actually making it? Oh well well yeah, but, I just said it because there's more people watching it. Well, but you're exactly right. It's twofold. Uh, The first thing that happened was that uh, for the first time in history, there were so many people watching porn that some of these smaller sites actually started to, for lack of a better term, run out of it. That there was, you know, you have porn is one of those things that is it's, it's like food. Once you consume it once, you need something else. Nobody watches the same porn twice. That's pointless. With all the porn that's out there, why would you do that? So everybody uses, you know, it's it's it, this isn't your dad's days where you had to use the same magazine, you know, all month and wait for the new magazine. You have an unending supply, but these smaller sites didn't have an unending supply, so they had to start trying to attract people. In this book, I actually printed a legit real press release that came from a cam site that was specifically trying to recruit uh, furloughed McDonald's workers, both men and women, to go online and make pornography. And that's who you have to realize is doing this. 
is that who what got shut down back in March 2020? It was the service industries, the restaurants, the bars. Well, who works pri primarily in those industries? Younger people and younger, good-looking people who have personalities that are outgoing and know how to get tips and, and know how to hold the conversation. So what you had was all of these people suddenly shut into their apartments with no way to pay the rent because while some of us could go get unemployment who didn't have who weren't getting paid these kinds of service jobs which in many states don't qualify for the same type of uh unemployment these people were scrambling they had to do something so what are they going to do well think about this generation think about this 18 to 25 year old generation they don't know a world prior to the internet. So they have been raised on regular nudity. They've been raised on regular pornography. They're the generation that thinks nothing about showing their ass on Instagram, about putting skimpy bathing suit and bikini photos on Instagram. When you and I were in high school, if the one popular cheerleader was in a bikini and everybody had a picture of it, it was a big deal. Now it's expected of the people in high school. So when they become 18, 19, and the opportunity of G, and this is one, one person I interviewed, put it to me very well, a very, very funny girl. She was 19 years old. Um, I think she's 20 now. She said to me, she said, G, I can either make $13 an hour folding clothes at the Gap, or I can make $400 a day on OnlyFans, and it takes me about 15 to 20 minutes. I take a picture of myself in the shower, or I take a little video of myself in the shower, I put it online, and I don't think about it again. And then tomorrow I do something else, and every once in a while I'll talk to these guys and, and you know, make them happy that I'm interacting with them one-on-one -on -one because we don't interact with porn stars in real life one-on-one, -on -one, but you can do that here. And the other thing that, that OnlyFans did you know, somewhat inadvertently, it's it's a fascinating business model, but OnlyFans broke down that last wall of pornography in that it, it, it created the genre of pornography of people you know. Now, for those of us who are older, I, I, I know when I was 20, 21 years old, I would look at a Playboy or look at a porno movie and think to myself, what would it be like if I saw a girl I knew in here? What if a girl I went to high school with was in the Girls of the Big Ten edition of Playboy? Or what if all of a sudden she's, she's you know, on one of these porno videos? Well, now for this under 30-year-old, under 35-year-old culture, which you ask anybody under 35 what OnlyFans is, and they know. Oh, yeah, you yeah, ask yeah. people only. You ask people over 35, they have no idea because it's such a big gulf right now because it's such a new thing. OnlyFans is a new technology. Who embraces new technology? The young. So right now we have all these young people making crazy money. Uh, my daughter uh, helped uh, introduce me to a couple of her friends who were using OnlyFans, so I could introduce, so I could interview them for the book. They went from making minimum wage or a little bit better than minimum wage at different jobs to making the low. The girl who made the least made twenty-five hundred dollars her first month. The girl who made the most made $6,000 her first month. Now, for if you don't have a problem 
with showing yourself naked on screen or masturbating on screen or having sex with somebody on screen, if you don't have a problem with it, well, geez, for $6,000 a month, working about 20 hours in the entire month, you can't beat that. And that's the thing is that that's the world that this pandemic created. And while it seems rosy up front, one of the things that I ask in this book and that I've been bringing up again lately as we're seeing this move back towards the pandemic and back towards shutdowns is I wonder because when porn was just videos or just uh, movies or, or even just magazines, how many porn stars were there in the world at any given time? Maybe 2,000 or 3,000? Now we have over a million porn stars, and I use the term star lightly, lightly but we've got, lightly. Yeah, we've, we've got well over a million porn stars that we created this year. Is it possible? When I interviewed the the uh, women and the men, I did interview about uh, four or five guys for this book. When I interviewed the women and the men, they all talked about how they liked the money, but there were quite a few of them who talked, who said the money wasn't the most important thing. What they discovered was that in regular life, they just feel like a normal person, nothing special. When they went online, there were people who made them feel special, people who told them they were beautiful or funny or smart. And a lot of these people, some of my daughter's friends, uh, she had four friends doing it. Two of them have since quit, two kept doing it. The two that have kept doing it were the ones who told me how it made them feel great, how it made them feel special, how they felt like nobody in their regular life. They couldn't get a boyfriend in their regular life but they now have guys sending them marriage proposals every day. And that, what you get there, that's a dopamine hit. Those girls being told they're special, being told they're beautiful, that's a dopamine hit. Why am I using pornography? Why, or was I using pornography? Why were all those other guys who were addicts using pornography? For the dopamine hit. So I wonder, and this is something that, you know, I'm actually thinking about another book about this. I wonder, should we be worried that we now have such a critical mass of people making pornography that it's just the flip side of the pornography addiction coin of consuming pornography? Could producing pornography essentially be the same addiction? It's just that we've never had it because we've never had millions of people making pornography. 20 yeah. years ago, when the internet started, I remember hearing people ask, what is it gonna be like when people, when these people have complete access to pornography 24 seven, whatever they want. And you and I have talked about this in the past that, you know, it is, there's anything people want out there now. You don't have to go steal a magazine when the shop owner's not looking. It's all there on the internet. And now that we know 20 years later that yes, there is a big spike in porn addiction rates because of the internet being brought into our lives, not just the younger people, but straight across the board. Um, there's more porn addiction now in every age group than there was 15, 20 years ago. Well. Now that we have all of these new pornography makers, if they're doing it for the dopamine hit, that could be a brand new addiction. 20 years from now, we could be having people who need to go to rehab, not because they look at porn too much, but because they they're make producing. porn too much. 
Is there going to be a four? Are there going to be forty-five-year-old women or fifty-year-old men who are making, you know, one tenth of what they're making today on OnlyFans, who are still making pornography in twenty or twenty-five years? Because it isn't about the money; it's about the dopamine rush of being told they're special or or getting the hit that day of attention from somebody. Um, I think this is something that the pandemic. Uh, we may be able to trace the roots of it to the pandemic. And I only talk a little bit about this in the book because so much of this has been ongoing and changing. I've actually been talking to my publisher about when the pandemic's finally over, maybe doing an updated chapter or even changing some of the book around. Uh, but I think that the the long lasting effect of the pandemic, at least when it comes to the pornography realm, is going to be not just in the consumers, but in the producers and what the long term fallout is from that. Yeah, I, 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 I just now you said about the consumers. I, I just realized it because it's just like in the in the dope game, you get addicted to selling the drugs. Like it's actually yeah. you have control. Let, let me ask you. I got I got three questions for you. I'm gonna shoot them to you one at a time, though. Okay. Uh, the, the, I'm gonna do them in the order that I remember them. You're talking about the dope. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Ah, okay. You, you, your daughter's friends. There are four of them, right? Yes. Two quit. And two kept going. Two kept going because they liked the rush. First question is why the two why the two of them quit. Why the two quit? Because they it was something new. You know, girls in their late teens, early 20s. It was something new. It was something exciting. It was something fun. The extra money was cool. But after two or three months, when the world started to get back to normal, when, you know, people started going outside, hanging out with friends again, it just wasn't a priority for them. They made some quick money. They liked it. They didn't see anything morally wrong with it but they they ended up just you know they they didn't make so much money come the third or fourth month that it was that different than the the jobs they had or they were going to go back to school and it, it, it petered out like so like like and in no offense to young women, but like so many things else in this world, something shiny, something else shiny caught their eyes. So they moved on to something else. Well, well, actually, that was a perfect setup without even realizing that that was a perfect setup into my next question. That shiny thing you're talking about, what is something that we can do? I mean, if I'm going to try to use your word with that shiny, I'm going to call it. Let me use my journalism skills here, Josh. Let me see here. So what shiny object can we present to these young people to get them away from this? What's the what's the shiny object that we can? If if Larry, if I had that answer, I wouldn't be here talking it to, to you. I'd be selling it to them. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And that's 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 a big part of the problem because selling them something else is just making them addicted to something else. And unfortunately, that's what happens with addicts a lot of the time. And um, I'm sure you saw this in your years of being an addict where somebody comes off something but goes on to something else. Right. And they don't actually stop being an addict. They just become a different kind of addict. Um, I do a lot of uh, coaching with partners of addicts. And one of the things that women will tell me is that, oh, I'm so happy he's not using porn anymore. He's drinking a lot though, yeah, or yeah. he's not well, using porn anymore, but 
I can't get him away from the computer because he's playing poker eight hours a day. And it's like, he's done nothing for the addicted mind. He he might go right back to porn. He may never touch it again, but he still has the addicted mind. And that's what needs to be addressed is the addicted mind. So, you know, what can I offer them? I don't know, therapy, recovery. Uh, yeah, I, it, it, it's hard to say because these people, the two of them who are still in it, probably have some issues with, with addiction or have some issues at least that are making them see this as a worthwhile, viable choice in life. Uh, whether, they rec- whether they are truly addicted or not, I can't say. Uh, but I think, that, I think that for the average person, you get into something, you either just develop a real love for it and it becomes, you know, a hobby or it becomes a career. And I'm sure that there are people who are porn stars who have no porn addiction whatsoever. It's a career move for them. But the ones that I talked to, there were very few who were just about the money. And the ones who were just about the money didn't seem like they were in it for the long haul. Okay. Well, yeah, it makes sense then. Um, well, okay. Before before I before I do my next my, my the, the last question I have for you. Before I get into that last question, I want to give you. Uh, I want to say for me, you already know about my story more or less. The, and right. I thought I thought about what my shiny object was. What my shiny object was was the fact that I chose. I grew up in Christianity in the church. Didn't know much about God. I knew I learned about God when I got deep into my addictions. So for me. I had to go to someone, something I needed something else. I needed something else to get me away from this addiction stuff. So when I got into actually studying the Bible and getting a personal relationship with God, that became my shiny object. I didn't need anybody else to tell me I I was good looking or strong or whatever it was. I didn't need that stuff. I got that sense of purpose from from the spiritual side of things. And and like I said, this isn't time for me to go into details, but maybe, maybe something um I'm gonna throw this out there, maybe some uh, some people that have a strong spiritual sense and are enjoying life actually and not just saying don't do this don't do that don't do this don't do that maybe something like that may come along and, and be able to, to reach a lot of these young people and the people in this industry I don't know but I'm, that's just something I'm, that's just something I'm thinking that's something I'm actually hoping to, I'm hoping to get into um, and just like you you're living a life where you know the more you get out you've got your TED Talks coming up we'll get that too in a minute but the more people like you that are enjoying life, you're married, that you got the kids having fun, the more people can see, hey, your process of going from one thing to something else that's not an addiction. Um, I think we, we got to present more shiny, more visible, shiny objects to these people out here in the media. Well, and we also we also have to frame it as. Um not an impossible thing uh, and maybe even not a difficult thing recovery is difficult um it is tough and, and you and i both know that but we know how much better life is on the other side and i think that's one of the things that people need to hear more of yeah. is uh the, the things that addicts are afraid of is that they can't you know you have that thing that makes you feel better how could you take that one thing away from you or two things away? I mean, I was alcohol and porn. How could you take these two things away from me? The only two things that I've trusted since I've been 15 years old to make me feel better. You take those two things away and I'm just going to be a miserable mess. Well, fortunately, I went through the programs 
and I did the hard work and I'm not miserable mess. I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm giving back in a way I never have. I mean, like everybody, I still have my, uh, you know, personality quirks and, and whatnot. But uh, I think that how we need to frame it to a lot of these people is uh, is that it's a better life and it's a more fulfilling life because people who are addicts, uh, you don't become an addict because you're healthy. You come and become an addict because something is fundamentally wrong inside of your head and something caused that fundamental wrongness inside of your head. For most of us, it's trauma, uh, that comes from abuse. For some people, it's trauma from witnessing some kind of crazy event like a car crash or, or the death of somebody or somebody being murdered. There, there's a lot of different ways to get to trauma. Statistically, most of us have trauma from abuse. And what we need to rec- what people need to recognize is that their addiction is not truly them. Their addiction is the way that they are medicating that abuse. And if you go in there and take care of that abuse, take care of that trauma, you're going to get to the other side and not need that addiction as much. You know, it's it's it blows my mind how once I, I never tried to quit porn. I tried to quit drinking several times. Never could. Couldn't even come close. But once I went through recovery uh, and truly understood how I became the person I did, yeah, I still got triggers. Yeah, every once in a while I still get triggers. I still will have a dream where I'm drinking it once in a while. But now, seven years later, it's it's not that hard to not drink. It's not that very hard to look not look at porn because I fixed that trauma in my head, and and that trauma caused such a storm of crap in my life my entire 20s and my first five six years of my 30s while i professionally looked great i was a mess and those were lost years i don't have lost years anymore because i fixed that problem and what we need to do as a society not just with pornography or drugs or drinking but with addiction as a whole we need to keep getting it across to people that the addiction isn't the problem per se the addiction is a symptom of the problem and this problem is not your fault you're not a bad person for it you're not you know a weak person for it something happened something happened you're not going to blame somebody because they're an amputee you know something happened and caused that you can either get a prosthetic leg you can learn how to walk you can create as close to a normal life as possible or you can you know go around in your wheelchair your entire life and complain and need painkillers and say woe is me and I guarantee you 99 out of 100 people who get the prosthetic leg are going to tell you that life is better with the prosthetic leg maybe even than it was with a regular leg because they've now learned to appreciate so much yeah, more yeah, yeah. and th- those are the kind of stories and those are the kind of comparisons we need to start just throwing out there to teenagers even before they're addicted to anything we need to have our society keep addiction sort of top of mind every once in a while people need to ask themselves am i addicted to something anybody who's listening to us right now look over your entire life food gambling porn sex drugs drinking whatever it is are you doing too much of this is this causing negative problems in your life if so you may be addicted it's important to recognize that that's the first key before you can go get help 
before you can even deny going and getting help is recognizing there's a problem. And and I, I, I and and you hit a good point again. You always hit good points, Josh. But this one here is a good. This one here is a good idea, right? You're like, yeah, I know, it's me. If if, uh, if only I had a dollar for every for every good point I make, I wouldn't have to do this crap anymore. Well, you'd have, you'd have made about ten dollars so far in this episode, I believe. Yeah. Well, you know what? Hey, I like appetizers as much as the next guy. Uh, the, the 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 one thing, like you said, about the amputee is an excellent example because it's all about people's views. I had somebody recently talk about like a car, right? It's not. It, I don't know if it's absolutely true, but they say it's not the car you want it wait no it's not you're not, you're not actually chasing money you know people chase money they think they're chasing money but they're not chasing money what they're chasing is what money can bring something like right. that it's not really the, like you said you, you get what i'm saying it's not really the addiction no. it's, it's exactly addiction gives you somehow exactly well i i sold i uh 15, 20 years ago, worked at a call center and we sold a program for parents of defiant children to get their defiant children under control. And I sold it horribly for quite a long time. I sold like 20%. The average was like 28%. And the superstars were selling it at 35%. And then one day as I was driving home, it occurred to me, wait, I'm not selling well-behaved children. I'm selling peace of mind. And when I recognized that and came back the next day, within a few weeks of developing this new uh, sales shtick, I was selling at 40%. And I was one of the company leaders because I recognized what we were really selling. We weren't selling well the promise of well-behaved children. We were selling the promise of peace of mind. If right. your child if you use this program, your child won't go to jail perhaps. Your child won't get in trouble at school. Your child will get good grades. Your child won't give you headaches. All of those things were what I was selling, not a good kid. And I didn't realize that. And like you say, it's the same thing with addiction, is that the what you're looking for a cure for is not your addiction. You're looking for a cure for what caused the addiction. You don't put a Band-Aid on an open, gashed sore and expect it to get better. The Band-Aid doesn't fix anything. It hides it. And that's what addiction does. You need to rip off the Band-Aid, get into that wound, and really deal with it. And yes, once you're done dealing with it, there will be a scar there. There are scars in my life from my addiction. But I don't need to put a Band-Aid on it anymore. And that scar is a reminder to stay on the straight and narrow, to keep a good life, to not drink, to not look at porn, to be a better person. And like I said, I I started when I was 12, 13 years old with the porn, a year or two later with alcohol. So I can't tell you this is the best I felt in 20 years because I felt like crap 20 years ago. This is the best I've felt in my life, you know, that I can ever remember because I'm not dealing with this anchor and this weight in my life that I didn't even truly realize was there. And I would have, I would have sworn to you that it wasn't there if yeah. you would have asked me in my 20s or early 30s. I would have sworn to you that even when I entered, when I entered rehab for alcoholism, I didn't know I was a porn addict and I would have denied it. It wasn't until I was getting 
the intense treatment for my alcoholism that I began to open up about some other stuff. And it became obvious to the experts there. And it wasn't until I started working with the experts and the medical professionals and the therapists that we really got into why I got into the pornography and how the abuse happened because I had most, I knew stuff happened, but I had mostly repressed the abuse to a point where it was completely palatable for me. I had to go through kind of the terror, the sadness, the frustration, the horror of reliving it, but I relived it and I got through it and my God, life is better on the other side, but you have to be open to getting through it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Trust me. It was a, I was there with, yeah, the molesting and then the, the going from cocaine to going from blow to crack, which is a lot worse than going pornography in the middle of it. And just, yeah, trust me, it's a process. But like you said, you got to do it. Um, right. And it's, all, it's also important to say just because you're not addicted to some of those things, that doesn't mean you don't have an addictive personality. I've tried those things you talk about. You know, I can go to a, I can go to a casino two or three times a year and I don't have the gambling addictive gene or whatever causes that. Just because you're not into one thing doesn't mean you're not an addict. You know, that that's one thing that I've talked to people about is that, yeah, I get a little bit crazy with, you know, weed or I get a little bit crazy with cocaine, but I don't touch anything else. It's like, that doesn't matter. You found your thing. Uh, you know, I sat there in rehab through two different rehab centers and heard kids, you know, kids, uh, 18, 19, 20, heard these young adults talk about how lucky the older alcoholics were because they were just addicted to drinking. They weren't addicted to heroin or they weren't addicted to meth. And it's like, dude, you can't go into 7-Eleven and get your meth. I can get my beer. You don't go to a nice restaurant and they don't bring you the heroin list. They bring you the wine list. You're going to tell me that's easier? Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's any easier. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My friend said the same thing. She said she had a food addiction. She goes, I'm addicted to food. She goes, it's, it's, (laughs) I got to eat in the morning. I got to eat. I mean, it's it's part of life. Like you said, liquor is everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. that, That would make it a shit ton worse um yeah well and, and what's funny is at when i went to my my second rehab center which was specifically for the porn and uh and sex addiction um, they had an eating disorder program and while uh it also had drugs and alcohol and while i could definitely relate to the people with drugs and alcohol it was the first time that i'd ever met a lot of people who suffered with eating disorders there were a few people who ate way too much and there are a few people who had the anorexia and and, and bulimia kind of stuff but what's fascinating was with alcohol with drugs the goal is abstinence you're not supposed to drink anymore you're not supposed to use heroin anymore but when it comes to sexuality when it comes to food you have to develop a healthy lifestyle for yourself because if i if exactly i can't it's not healthy for me to never have sex it's not healthy for me to never experience anything to do with sexuality that's on the opposite side of the spectrum and there are those people out there they're actually called sexually anorexics and that's not healthy either 
you need to have a healthy sexuality, much like you need to have a healthy relationship with food. You know, if you're an anorexic, you can't start pigging out. And if you're somebody who's, you know, morbidly obese, you can't just starve. You have to find that healthy medium. So there's a lot for people who have uh, eating disorders and people who have sex or pornography issues. There's a lot in common. It's very interesting that we both have to, uh, perhaps even harder than just abstinence, we have to figure out a way to create a healthy relationship with the thing that's causing all these troubles. Yeah, because it's, it's part of your life, like you said. Sometimes. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, 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 okay, I still have one more question for you still, even though, you know what, you just raised up three more questions, but I'm not going there, Josh. I'm, you, <laughs> I'm, I got Good things coming through. <laughs> All right, well, here's number three. Question. The young people, let's say that you said, you talked about facing this, uh, the pornography epidemic um, in 20 years. Let's say you've got someone who's 20 years old right now, and she's looking good, she's feeling good, and she's doing these this porno stuff. What about when, do you think there will be a, 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 a group of people that will have a, that will have to address that are no longer I mean, 45 is not old, don't get me wrong, 45 is not old, but the difference between being 20 and you're doing the porn stuff, you're the, you're the, you're the star of the show, and now you're 45 and people aren't looking at you necessarily like they were when you were 20. Right. Is, is there going to be, do you, you think that that will be an issue down the yeah, road? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, think, I think there are people now who forget about pornography. How many 45-year-olds go and get plastic surgery? And... Oh. You know, and how many how many people always, you know, we have a multi-billion dollar industry based on trying to look younger. Now, when not only are you trying to make your face or your hair look younger, but you're trying to make your body look younger. Yeah, I think absolutely that there are going to be issues with that. I can totally see, you know, body dysmorphia becoming a bigger deal. I can totally see eating uh, addictions or, or, or eating disorders like an anorexia or bulimia become a bigger deal among an older population. Well, it, it is some it is something that usually uh, it's it's teenagers and women in their twenties who have these eating disorders. I could absolutely see it growing for these older older women if they are locked into this life where the only happiness and relief they get is from the dopamine rush of pornography and the reaction they get to pornography, then they will do whatever they need to do to get that rush. If that is starving themselves, if that is, you know, doing things to the to their uh, appearance. You, know, you see those people who are addicted to uh, uh, plastic surgery, they end up looking worse than wax dummies at Madame Tussauds. And 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 they can't stop. You know, you, you look like a cat that's had its skin all pulled back. There's nobody who can, you know, realistically say you look good, but you're still getting that because that's what's, that you, that's what's telling you that you need to look good. So I think that you know, very, I, I think that we need to, again, make addiction in general a bigger topic in society. And when it comes to if, if creation of pornography, do-it-yourself porn that you sell on your own through an online interface is going to become the norm, we need to have these people understanding that 
you're an adult, you can do what you want with your life. Pornography is legal. This can be a career for you, but it can lead down some bad roads if you're not careful. You know, that's it, 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 that's what we that's just what we need to do. And simply because it has to do with nudity or sex or helping people get off by giving them material to get off to, we're just going to have to get over our, our get over our puritanical ways and start talking in very realistic modern day terms. So, 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 that fact. So, so speaking of talking in modern realistic terms, tell us about the TED Talk coming up absolutely the TED talk for uh, those of you who are listening prior to December 6th 2020 uh, my TED talk will be about pornography addiction uh, I live in Maine it's actually going to be part of a TED talk presentation of eight talks that are going to take place in Hartford, Connecticut on December 6th. Unfortunately, because of the social distancing, we can't do it and we can't do it in front of a crowd like they are normally done. But there's a tw- there's a, you know, COVID twist on it where right now anybody in the world can watch it because it's going to be live streamed. So like if you're watching if you're watching this before December 6th, you can watch at any price you want. You want to donate $10, cool. You don't want to donate a dime, that's fine. It doesn't matter. And I'm not seeing a dime of it anyway, so do what you want. Um, but but go to TEDxHartford.com. That's the word TED, T-E-D, the letter X, and Hartford.com. TEDxHartford.com. There is a button there that says buy tickets and you can type in zero for price and no one's going to know. Nobody's going to care. Don't worry about that. Um, You can type in a hundred, you know, it does cost something to put this on. I don't know what it is, but we are hoping and the organizers are hoping that instead of just getting two, 300 people from the Connecticut area, that we're able to get a worldwide audience of a couple thousand because it's, it's just going to be a matter of getting there and uh, logging in like you log into Zoom, like you log into Skype. Um, and then there'll be eight different talks and some of the talks are amazing. Um, you know, I've, I've uh, been on the rehearsals with a couple of them. There's one Yale professor talking about how creativity leads to better problem solving than thinking linear. There's a police officer who talks about how uh, officers need to be trained more to uh, take a step back before taking two steps forward. And how those police officers who do that are actually the ones who are the big community successes. Um, And they're the ones that are getting the awards. They're the ones who are getting the commendations. Uh, it's, It's not this smaller rogue group that you know, have have pistol on me, um, and are making bad choices. And he he's a great guy, great talk. There were a couple of women who opened up a cafe, and they hire fifty percent uh, learning disabled or uh, other other disorders uh, for their staff. Uh, it's it's like I say, it's the idea behind TED is the the uh, motto is ideas worth sharing. And everybody ha- everybody giving these speeches has a great idea worth sharing. And my idea is simply 
that we need to understand just how nefarious porn addiction is and we need society and parents to address this as their really for their role a role of a parent is to now address this the role of society is now to address this we can't bury our head in the sand and i tell six or seven different anecdotes including ones about myself but also ones with people who i've worked with and i'm sure i've probably told a couple of them in some of your past episodes but it basically uh comes together and the title of my uh speech is the twisted tentacles of porn addiction um because i believe most people most people haven't talked about porn addiction the way you and i have um most are coming into this completely blind so um again if you're interested if it's before december 6 2020 that you're hearing this and you're interested uh that's a sunday night it's going to start i believe either 5 or 6 eastern time just go to tedxhartford.com and you can uh, get tickets to the online event and then two or three weeks after that the uh my specific speech like all of the others will be cut up into its own little 15 minute unit and put onto youtube uh much like so many other ted talks uh, are put are put onto youtube these days and you know cross fingers hopefully it gets a million views some of these ted talks get 10 20 30 million views and you know i'm sure that would change my life but even more importantly it would get the message out there if suddenly a year from now there are even 100,000 people who heard me give this speech that i've been planning you know that's that's going to make this uh you know uh this journey i've been on very worthwhile because since you know i entered this uh, all i've been trying to do is help people you know i i'd love to make a few bucks along the way but all i'm trying to do is, is help people spread education spread awareness and for doing something like this short of going on dr phil or dr oz uh ted talks are the absolute best way so if anybody out there is listening i'd love to have you there if it's after december 6 2020 even if it's 2022 you know go type my name into youtube and i'm sure you'll find uh, my ted talk on there yeah that joshua shay is s h e a so you the correct correct and uh and if you go to my website which i should still have in a couple years i'm sure i'll have a link to it there that website is uh, recoveringpornaddict.com and i'll include that in the thing in case you guys missed it it'll be recoveringpornaddict.com that i'll put that in the description for people to actually be able to look at in the description of the podcast episode That would be fantastic and for people out there who uh have any issues with pornography if you want to read more about it I tend to write two or three articles a week either about my experiences in addiction or my experiences with recovery there are a lot of resources if you have any issues with porn addiction um there's also links to my books uh links to some different modalities of help and links to the interviews I've done including the other two that I did here with you uh so if uh you know if you want to check anything out about pornography addiction if you want to learn more if you want to get in touch with me check out recoveringpornaddict.com my man Josh always a pleasure to you man i always like messing with you because we just like you said it's a it's a touchy subject but lily it's a touchy subject but um we just talk about we 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 it's it's not a it's not an embarrassing thing it's not a I, you didn't say we you, didn't say dildo once 
didn't, did we? <laughs> no, no, we never said dildo, not once. Uh, That's a, for any parent worrying about it, you don't have to say dildo to your kids. We just talked for an hour without saying dildo. And sure, I just said dildo 10 times, but you don't have to. Right. He said dildo, so you don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> dildo, dildo, dildo. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so parents, check it out. Once again, I got to reiterate, reiterate, you do not have to say dildo because we'll say it for you. <laughs> yeah, that, just give us call our eight hundred number. That's what we're here for. One eight hundred Josh Larry Dillon. Give us a call. We'll get it. Uh, <laughs> right. Glad I get top billing. That makes me feel good. I'm on top. <laughs> See, look at you. <laughs> well, hey, well, hey, well, 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 I would say best of luck, but it's not gonna be luck. It's about skill. So, 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 best of showing your skill and your passion, man. At this next TEDx thing, at this TEDx thing you're doing, December sixth, TEDxHartford.com. Keep that smile, hey, show that smile, man. That, that right, Missy, where's the smile at that? Where's that smile? There it is, show that smile, and you'll be good to go. Just, just smile your way through it, man. You got it. Oh, that's a, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and thank you so much for inviting me back again, Larry. I hey. love hanging out with you here. That's what we do, man. Um, that's a wrap, episode 177. My guest, once again, Joshua Shea. He'll be on TEDx at TEDxHartford.com, December 6th. Check it out. Josh, thank you, and we'll run it back again one day. You know how we do it. I hope so. Thanks, Larry. <laughs> All right.